Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami The uh, next talk in uh, this collection, this is chapter 5, it's called Everything That Arises Passes Away. And this is also from the uh, Dhamma Talks given in the Winter Retreat in 1988. The Buddha said, the origin of all suffering was ignorance. So it's important to consider what he really meant by ignorance, quote-unquote. Most human beings in the world live very much as if their habits, thoughts, feelings and memories are what they really are. They do not take the time to look at their lives or don't really have the opportunity to watch and consider how these conditions operate. What is a condition? The body that we have, emotions and feelings, the perceptions of the mind, conceptions and consciousness through the senses, these are conditions. A condition is something that is added, compounded, something, something that arises and passes away. It's not the uncreated, unborn, unoriginated, ultimate reality. Religion is what human beings use to try to get back to that ultimate realization of reality beyond the cycles of birth and death. The supramundane wisdom, or lokutarapanya, and nirvana, or nibbana, is the experience of this transcendent reality. This is when we suddenly know. Sorry, this is when we suddenly know the truth, not by studying the Pali scriptures or a Zen book, but through direct experience. So uh, the word condition here, um, he's uh, uh, using that as a translation for sankhara, and um, so this is one of those sort of Buddhist jargon words that you, you get very used to using here in a monastery, but in ordinary um, everyday circumstances isn't used so much, or not, not particularly used in in this way. And so when you come into a monastery, you start going on to retreats, and people talk about conditions, or this condition and that condition, can be a bit sort of puzzling. It certainly was for me way back, uh, way back in the beginning of my time. Um, but this is what it's referring to. So it's a, it's a, a English translation for sankara, and that literally means something that is put together, something that is formed, something that is is compounded. And um, also, when uh, as the talk proceeds, Yilampur also explains a bit more what we mean by by ignorance. But uh, just to start off with. Uh, the the uh, just like the word condition has a particular origin or, or meaning uh, in in Buddhist terms. Then ignorance is uh, it's not uh, uh, being unaware of particular information. Uh, often that's the way we use the word in English to say that I'm ignorant of something is like I don't know how to do it or I'm not uh, say uh, familiar with the the story behind something or the way that something works rather the uh, avicca literally means not knowing or not being aware uh, another english word is nascience so the word science with that, with ne in front of it and by the way i spelled cinderesis wrong the other day it was uh, the the last four letters are esis not isis just in case anyone looked it up <laughs> So, uh, yes, so ignorance is not a matter of not having information, but it's a quality of not seeing clearly or or unawareness, a uh, a lack of, uh, say, a lack of of the quality of knowing itself. We generally conceive the truth as being a thing. Nibbana as being some peaceful state of mind or some kind of ecstatic experience. All of us have experienced some kind of happiness, so we like to conceive the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated as a happy experience. 
But the Buddha was very careful never to describe the ultimate reality or Nibbana. He never said very much about it. People want to know what it is. They write books, write books on it, speculate about its nature. But this is exactly what the Buddha didn't do. Instead, he pointed to direct knowing of conditions that change, what we can know through our own experience at this moment. This is not a matter of believing anyone else. It's a matter of knowing at this present moment that whatever arises passes away. So we put forth that kind of attention in our lives. We are attentive and notice that whatever arises passes away. Every condition of your mind or body, whether it's a sensation or of pleasure or of pain, feeling or memory, sight, sound, smell, taste or touch, inside or outside, it's just a condition. So uh, even though um, the, uh, the, the um, point that Lumpur is making here about people, uh, uh, people want to write books about it, so <laughs> it's the latest edition of the, the Island, which is a, a book about Nibbana <laughs> that uh, myself and uh, Lumpur Pasanna put together. Um, it, uh, one of the reasons why we, we put that together was because um, the Buddha does speak very, very rarely about ultimate reality, about Nibbana and, and such like, but we uh, thought it would be a useful thing to gather together the, uh, the, the few references and uh, say sources from around the Pali Canon and within the, the forest tradition in particular, where, where it is talked about um, and to give a, a bit of a... a, a, a a, uh, a sort of background information or as, as clear information as possible as to what the Buddha did say. The, the majority of the teachings, as people are um, uh, probably aware, is uh, based upon the pathway to realizing Nibbana or realizing ultimate truth. And that, so not, I would say 99% of the Buddha's teaching is uh, directly related to that. It's, uh, uh, it's talking about the path to that realization, the way in which that that realization can be actualized rather than trying to talk about the nature of uh, of the goal and going into uh, complex uh, sort of uh, metaphysical descriptions or poetic descriptions of of that quality but rather spending most of his attention most of his time on uh, talking about what's obstructing the realization of that the way to re- to the realization of that and the sort of practical methods that we can use in, in our lives to to bring about that realization as a as a, a genuine quality rather than just as a, an idea in the mind. The um, the phrase that Lumpur uses here and is the title of this talk: "Everything that arises passes away," and he repeats a couple of times in this paragraph is um, one of the ways that stream entry is characterized in the in the suttas uh, quite regularly is when someone has that, uh, say, first uh, le- uh, le- you know, level or layer of insight is fully established, then what they, uh, what they realize or what is known can be described as seeing that all that arises passes away. Yankinchi samudaya dhammang sabantang niroda damanti. Whatever is subject to arising is also subject to cessation. And so that uh, uh, in this same era and, and earlier in the, um, uh, in the early days of Chithurst, one of, the, uh, one of the, the ways that Lumpur liked to teach was around this very phrase. And he would say, what is it that Buddhas know that unenlightened beings don't know? But the idea that, uh, or the, the assumption that you'd assume that what Buddhas know is, is a kind of vast range of uh, cosmically significant uh, esoteric knowledge or understanding of the workings of karma and the, the fabric of, uh, of uh, the material, the men- mental, spiritual universe. Um, you know, what is it that Buddhas know that unenlightened beings don't know? And assuming it's something sort of fantastic and strange and esoteric, and then he would pause for a moment and then say, uh, what Buddhas know is that all that arises passes away and is not self. And uh, to our thinking mind, it's like, well, so what? That's nothing, that's no big thing. That's, that's no, uh, that's not news. You know, I can, what goes up must come down is something you, you, think, you, know, you learned about when you were three or four years old. It's not a, uh, it's not a, 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 a unique piece of information. But uh, what is uh, pointing? What he points to here and throughout this Dhamma talk is that it's you know, the mind that really sees that and knows that. In that the attitude of mind is uh, is like a different 
uh, a different way of attending. It's it's a different um, way, and it's a different attitude, a different cast of of mind. So that it's looking at the world of things, external and internal, um, physical and mental. Uh, the looking at the whole field of experience in a radically different way. You're looking at the the changing and unstable nature, the the uncertain and uh, an empty nature of all experience, rather than dwelling upon the content of experience and that uh, that um, uh, say that way of seeing that's characterized by that that phrase yankinchi samudaya damang subantang niroda damanti that uh, that's say representing uh, as a simple phrase uh, the 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 change of attitude so that rather than whether you like it or you don't like it it's changing whether it's inside or outside it's changing whether it's coarse or refined it's changing if it's pleasant and you want to hold on to it and you cherish it and you take it to be take it to be yours it's changing it can't be owned it can't be kept it can't it can't sustain itself if it's uh, painful and unbearable and uh, a, a, a dreadful stress it's not something that can stay forever. It can't be permanent. It can't be something that is uh, who and what you are. It has to has to change. It has to pass away, so that that uh, that very uh, way of seeing that very attitudinal shift uh, is something that creates a a, a a radically different way of seeing and appreciating the experiential world, and and as it's recognised, oh, it's like the or. Uh, it's talked about as that seeing of the deathless. It's like seeing the the world of uh, of sense perception and and conception, seeing it in its in its context. So, seeing the deathless, uh, part of seeing the deathless is seeing the the, the deathbound as deathbound. <laughs> that the 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 world of change is the world of change, but that's not also seeing that as the recognition that that's not the whole story. It can't be the whole the whole picture. So that that. Uh, uh, the realization of stream entry is also uh, talked about as seeing the deathless. That so they are they're synonymous. So the one one way of talking about it is seeing the deathless, the unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, and knowing that, and trusting that realization. And then the other is the learning to not trust the uh, the realm of the born, the created, the formed, the the originated, and seeing that in a, in a different light, so that we're changing our habit from taking refuge in the born, the originated, the created, the formed, what we think of as as ourself and the world, and as um, patterns of the experiential field. It's a, a a radical letting go of that, no longer seeking identity uh, or uh, see. Uh, um, depending on an identity based on the sensory experience and memory and ideas and those um, forms of, uh, of perception, those conditions of mind. But there's a, a radical letting go, it's a, a, a non-identification. So that the very first uh, of the obstructions to enlightenment, the very first of the ten fetters, is sakayaditi, self-view. So that's the, the very first thing to be let go of, that sense of this is not me, this is not what I am, this is not myself, this is not, doesn't, it's not a self, it doesn't belong to a self. Any thoughts or questions on, uh, on that? Okay, so to continue. It's important to reflect on what ignorance, quote-unquote, really means. In the sense in which the Buddha used it when he called it the origin of all suffering, being ignorant means that we identify with these conditions by regarding them as me or mine, or as something that we don't want to be me or mine. We have the idea that we must find some permanent pleasant condition. We have to achieve something, get something we don't have. But you can notice that desire in your mind is a moving thing. Looking for something. So it's a changing condition that arises and passes away. It's not self. The expression, not self, anatta, is not some kind of mantra that you keep repeating to get rid of things, but an actual penetration of the very nature of all desires. As you look carefully, very patiently and humbly, you begin to see that the created arises out of the uncreated and goes back to the uncreated. It disappears and there's nothing left. 
If it were really you and really yours, it would stay, wouldn't it? If it were really you, where would it go? To some kind of storehouse of personality? But that concept, like whatever you conceive, like whatever you conceive is a condition that arises and passes away. Whenever you try to conceive yourself or any concept or memory of yourself as this or that, it's only a condition of your mind. It's not what you are. You're not a condition of your mind. So, sorrow, despair, love and happiness are all conditions of mind, and they're all not self. Oh, this is uh, it's, uh, going more directly and deeply into that, that uh, way of seeing, so that uh, that, uh, say, casting the, the vision around and looking at the more and more of what we, we think of as our experience and there's um, particularly the, the uh, as he says, the the, uh, uh, the idea that we must find some kind of permanent pleasant condition to have to achieve something or get something you don't have. That that desire in our mind is a moving thing, looking for something. So that is a changing condition. So the desire that I should be this way, I shouldn't be that way, um, uh, that is a changing condition. And so when the, when there's a stepping back from that and recognize, oh, that desire to be something. That is, uh, that's arising and passing away. That desire to not be something, that's arising and passing away. Yeah. And every single condition uh, of mind yeah, falls into that, same, uh, into that same pattern. One of the, the, the things that we're, we're doing, and even, the, uh, any, even within this, you're recognizing those feelings of self, the, the feeling of I and mine and me that... Those are also conditions of mind that arise and pass away. So that, and it's one of the, in a way, the sort of essential insights is that the feelings of self are not self; that they they don't belong to anyone, and they are not anyone. That feeling of I, I-ness and meanness and minus, it's another a mental condition, a pattern of experience. I think there was we were talking about it at the uh, last one of the last readings that. That feeling of self, it has a purpose, it has its place in nature, but that I feeling is another condition that arises and passes away. It, it's not anything solid or substantial. Uh, the, the phrase that Lumpur uses here, that um, the created arises out of the uncreated and goes back to the uncreated, that uh, back in those, the, the, those days, in the 80s, then uh, Lumpur used to use that kind of phrase fairly often. Um, and then... Uh, uh, he, after a time, he, he stopped using that since uh, um, it's not a phrase that you find exactly repeated in the, the Pali Canon. What you do find is where the Buddha says, uh, all conditions merge in the deathless. Uh, that, that, is, uh, that is a phrase that is, is used. So uh, amatogada is merging with the, the deathless or dissolving into the deathless. So that phrase is, is, uh, is used, but... Um, arising from the uncreated or the unconditionally unformed, uh, even though Lumpur would, would regularly use that as a, a mode of expression, you don't find that in the Pali Canon uh, as such. And uh, I, I get the feeling, I don't know directly, um, now that he lives here, we can <laughs> add it to the list of things to ask him, but um, uh, my suspicion is that uh, somebody um, or some people said, that, uh, Venerable Sir, <laughs> you don't actually find that uh, being said in the Pali Canon, so... Uh, you know, where, where do you get that from? And so uh, I think he was uh, speaking from his own experience, uh, and um, and certainly in that era, and uh, uh, my my memory of, of listening to many of his Dhamma teachings and reading his uh, his books, uh, that's a, a phrase that he would use uh, quite regularly. But it, uh, it's a um, uh, something that uh, he he doesn't use anymore, to my to my knowledge, uh, and uh, the. Um, uh, and I feel that also in terms of, of uh, so observing how the mind works, then just to uh, to more simply and directly say, well, if, you know, things arise and pass away, and that the um, uh, that sense of uh, you know where they come from or what they what they're caused by, that um, that can be um, say. Uh, uh, talked about it in, in different ways, but I think the the phraseology that the created arises out of the uncreated. It's good to bear in mind that's not a a, a phrase that you find uh, in the in Buddha Dhamma. Thoughts, questions.
Okay, I'll continue. Notice when you suffer, feel discontent in your life. Why? It's because of some attachment, some idea of yourself or someone else. Someone you love dies and you feel sorry for yourself. Or you think of and dwell on the good times that you've had with them, creating more conditions of mind. Maybe you feel guilty because you weren't giving or loving all of the time. That's a condition of mind also. You have a memory. You conceive of them as being alive. But that very idea of a person is a perception of mind. It's not a person. Remembering someone who is alive, someone you wish you could be with right now, is a condition of mind. And remembering someone who's died, so that you'll never see them again, is also a condition of mind. Buddhist meditation is a way of looking at the conditions of mind, investigating and seeing what they are, rather than believing in them. People want to believe. When someone close to you has died, someone may, t- someone may tell you, oh, they went up to heaven with God the Father, or they're living in the delights of the two-seater heaven. They say this so that you'll have a pleasant perception of mind. Well, now I know that my grandmother is happy up there in the heavenly realms, dancing with the angels. And somebody else says, well, you know, she did some pretty dreadful things. She's probably down in hell, burning in the eternal fires. So you start worrying that maybe you'll end up there too. But that's a perception of mind. Heaven and hell are conditioned phenomena. If you reflect back ten years ago, that's a condition of mind that arises and passes away. And it arises because I just suggested it to you. So that condition is dependent on another condition. Memory is what we've experienced. And the future is the unknown. But who is it? that knows the conditions of the moment. I can't find that who. There's only the knowing. And knowing can know anything that is present now, pleasant or unpleasant, speculations about the future or reminiscences of the past, creations of yourself as this or that. You create yourself or the world you live in, so you can't really blame anyone else. If you do, it's because you're still ignorant. We call the one who knows Buddha. But that doesn't mean Buddha, quote-unquote, is a condition. This is not saying that a Buddha Rupa knows anything, but rather that Buddha, quote-unquote, is the knowing. So Buddhist meditation is really being aware rather than becoming Buddha. The idea of becoming Buddha is based on conditions. You think you're someone who isn't Buddha right now, and in order to become Buddha, you have to read books to find out how to become one. Of course, this means that you have to work really hard to get rid of those qualities which are not Buddha-like. You're far from perfect. You can be angry, greedy, doubtful, and frightened. And of course, Buddhas aren't like that, because Buddha is that which knows, so they know better. In order to become Buddha, you have to get rid of those un-Buddha-like qualities and try to develop Buddha-like qualities such as compassion. But all these are creations of the mind. We create Buddhas, quote-unquote, because we believe in the creations of the mind. But they aren't real Buddhas. They're only false Buddhas. They're not wisdom Buddhas. They're just creations of our mind. As long as you conceive yourself as being somebody who has to do something in in order to become something else, you're still caught in a trap a condition of mind as being a self. And you never quite understand anything properly. No matter how many years you meditate, you'll never really understand the teaching. You'll always be just off the mark. The direct direct way of seeing things now, that whatever arises passes away, doesn't mean that you're throwing anything away. It means that you're looking as you've never bothered to look before. You're looking from a perspective of what's here now, rather than looking for something that's not here. If you come into the meditation hall thinking, I've got to spend this hour looking for the Buddha, trying to become something, trying to get rid of these bad thoughts, I must sit and practice hard, try to become what I should become. So I'll sit here and try getting rid of things, try to get, to try to get things, try to hold on to things. With that attitude, meditation is a really strenuous effort and always a failure. But if you're just aware of the conditions of mind, if you see in perspective the desire to become, to get rid of, to do something, or the feeling that you can't do it, 
or that you're an expert or whatever, you begin to see that whatever you're experiencing is a changing condition and not self. You're seeing a perspective of being Buddha rather than doing something in order to become Buddha. When we talk about sati, mindfulness, this is what we mean. Uh, again, this is a very uh, important uh, principle and very much a part of the, the forest tradition uh, approach and languaging of things. And that uh, Lumpur Cha would similarly speak in very, uh, very uh, comparable ways. That the, the Buddha that is the refuge is this quality of awareness. The, the entire language, the Puru, the, the one who knows, or Tatru, the, the element of knowing. Um, and that that's the, the the refuge that a Buddha Rupa uh, is not a refuge or a, a, a Buddha uh, uh, the Buddha as an idea or as a historical figure as a, an idea in the mind that say well those are Buddhas in form or, or, or Buddhas in the uh, in perception but the the Buddha that's the refuge is really this quality of awakened awareness this the mind that knows in this moment and that's what uh, Lumpur is pointing to right here that. A being Buddha is being awake, and that, that's taking refuge in Buddha is uh, is being that wakeful uh, awareness, and uh, so that uh, and this phrase that he uses here, uh, being somebody who's got to do something now in order to become something else, is still caught in a trap, a condition of mind, and uh, uh, during that era he would uh, talk regularly about having to make a, a paradigm shift. I think I think he borrowed the language from a Fritjof Capra book that was very popular at that time, talking about a paradigm shift, a different way of seeing the world, uh, and that uh, he uh, would talk about having a paradigm shift from uh, I'm a person who's, uh, un who's unenlightened, who's got to do something now in order to become enlightened in the future. Uh, and that seeing that's the framework that we usually, that we usually take, that customarily that's a sort of an ordinary, inarguable, so-called fact that yes, I, yeah, I am. Yeah, you know, but Lumpur, I am an unenlightened person, and I have got to do something <laughs> to become enlightened in the future. And uh, so he would point right at that that paradigm, that that framework that we uh, we would be putting in place. Uh, the, uh, yes, I I am an unenlightened person, starting from that assumption or that that kind of uh, self creation and say no uh, don't you don't have to frame things in that way don't don't put it in that form but rather uh, there is the uh, the the buddha seeing the dhamma the awake mind seeing the way things are so being buddha here and now and so and as he says at the end of that uh, this is what being mindful really means is that paying attention uh, in the present moment being awake being aware that is that is embodying that quality of uh, of awakened uh, awareness, and the degree to which that that knowing that mindfulness is free of self view and is fully uh, fully developed, then that's the degree to which that that awareness that that knowing sees through the the, the habits of, of judgment around the conditions of me here, you there, I like, I don't like, this is good, that's bad, and and so on and so forth. So just within this little uh, section here, there's a, a lot of very significant teachings. And uh, I thought I would also um, share with you this um, particular passage I like to, to quote, another one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite sutta quotations at the moment. So this is the, the dialogue of the Buddha with this Brahmin called Dona. And Dona had seen the the footprints in the in the dust along the road of um, uh, of the the Buddha who'd passed by a little bit earlier and was amazed by the 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 shape and form of the footprints and seeing these extraordinary lines and marks that were there of, uh, of wheels and and uh, and images that were there in the footprints and thought well these these footprints can't have been made by an ordinary person then he followed the footprints into the forest and then found the the Buddha sitting under a, a tree there. And the Brahmin went up to him and asked, Sir, are you a god? No, Brahmin. Sir, are you a heavenly angel? No, Brahmin. Sir, are you a spirit? No, Brahmin. Sir, are you a human being? No, Brahmin. So when the Buddha asked, are you a human being, even though he was born of human parents, he says no. And the, the Pali for that is, Nako ahang brahmana manuso bhavisamiti. Um, uh, which literally means something like um, 
There is not that uh, whereby you can say that I am a, a human being, that you can call me a human being. So then Dona goes on to say, Then, sir, what indeed are you? The Buddha responds, Brahmin, the defilements by means of which, through my not having abandoned them, I might be a god or a heavenly angel or a spirit or a human being, have been abandoned by me, cut off at the root, made like a palm stump, done away with, and are no more subject to future arising. Just as a blue or red or white lotus is born in water, grows in water, and stands up above the water, untouched by it, so too I who was born in the world and grew up in the world, have transcended the world, and I live untouched by the world. Remember me as one who is awakened. And the Pali for that is, Budhoti mang brahmana tareti. Hold, uh, hold me as one who is uh, awakened. Budhoti. Um, and so that, uh, that uh, I feel is a, one of the most significant passages in the, the Pali canon. And, and also it's said to be one of the, the reasons why we use the word Buddha to refer to the Buddha, <laughs> the Buddha uh, and the, the kind of titles, the ways of, um, uh, say, expression that are used to, to refer to the, the great teacher, the founder of this, uh, this religious form, the Buddha, the, the one who is awake. And also why, you, why you, we say the Buddha, not Buddha as if it was a name, but the Buddha is, as referring to that quality. And, uh, and so that um, if, we, if we take that, uh, and I find that it's, it's kind of uh, amazing. The, the the Buddha is incapable of lying. You know, he's totally enlightened. He's an arahant. He cannot tell a lie. And when he's asked, "Are you a human being?" he says, "No." <laughs> and so that that. Uh, but also in that passage, I think I, I was quoting in uh, in, in um, I've quoted many times. I think I was quoting last night in a Dhamma talk, how uh, where he says, you know, that material form whereby one trying to describe the targeter would describe him. Material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, that similarly has been cut off at the root, made like a palm stump, a palm stump and so forth, that uh, the targeter is liberated from being reckoned in terms of the five khandhas. You know, you, that, that awakened awareness, the targeter, that knowing quality, uh, it knows the five khandhas, but it can't be defined in terms of the five khandhas. And so when he's asked, are you, are you a human being? He says, no. <laughs> that, that, which is, that which is here, the Tathagata, can't be defined in terms of the five khandhas, what you think of as a manusa, as a, as a person. So I, I feel that's one of those passages that's really worth contemplation. And then f uh, using that to inform your own practice, the way we develop vi uh, vipassana meditation and look at our, our own life, our own mind, and say, yeah, but I, I am a woman, I am a man, I am uh, of this, uh, this is my name, this is my nationality, this is how old I am. And, and that, that sort of matter-of-factness with which we feed uh, and, and uh, strengthen self-view and it's exactly these teachings that that um, that say challenge that, and um, that uh, the um, that uh, sense of being a uh, being a person, you know, and that kind of personalizing. Um, the very idea of a person is a perception of mind. It's not a person. <laughs> that. Uh, on a, on a worldly level, according to the uh, the samuti such of the conventional truth, you say we can say, yeah, I, I am a person. But from the level of the paramata sacha, from that level of of, of dhamma of, of reality, that, uh, as Paul says here, that um, the idea of a person is a perception of mind. It's not a person, <laughs> and that that quality of knowing. Is even though it's in a way that the the very heart of our the uh, of reality for for each and every one of us, it's it's not personal. It's not uh, it's not something that uh, say we can uh, or the mind can validly uh, talk about as as a uh, uh, in, in personal ways. So there's a, a, a I feel a, a lot within this dhamma talk, a lot of essential principles that are really worthy of uh, of consideration and um and in that 
uh, say that change of view, uh, I feel it's helpful to see that the developing the the insight into not self. It's going from this self-centered perspective of I am a person, I am a human being. This is this is uh, this is what I am. It's going from a a self-centered point of view to a, a dhamma-centered point of view or nature-centered point of view, saying yes, so these personal qualities of of a body, a mind, a personality, a story, an age. Uh, and so on, a, a name, a gender, a, a family. Yes, those perceptions are part of the field of experience, but they they arise and pass away. That they, they can't be the whole. Rea- uh, they can't be the whole story. They're not the whole reality. And and again, a, a few days, a few readings ago, I mentioned how that uh, stream entry is also called the change of lineage. So. That change of perspective, going from the self-centered view to the dhamma-centered view, is uh, seeing that uh, the the our origin, if you like, is dhamma itself rather than our biological parents. So on the level of conventional truth, our biological parents are where we've come from, but uh, in, from the the more radical perspective, that uh, it, uh, that's not our our. Our genuine lineage that it, really the the Dhamma itself is the foundation of reality rather than our um, uh, biological mother and father so any thoughts questions yes venerable Nidaro. um yes Ajahn, thank you I was wondering um to what extent you think that then particular qualities have to be developed in order to you know attain stream entry or full enlightenment. Um, because from what you're saying, it seems like maybe it's not so much about developing particular qualities. And also thinking about the fetters, they seem like the fetters is more a thing of uh, letting go rather than developing something. But then I think, like for example, personally I have this idea that one needs to be able to remember where one puts things. Like, So, okay, so practically speaking, I, like a hat, one wears a hat and then mm-hmm. puts it somewhere and then forgets where it was and misplaced it. I have a bit that idea, okay, someone who's really developed on the path, wouldn't, that will never happen because they're always mindful and they know exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing and they remember everything they did. And I mean, maybe they don't remember all the facts they've collected over time, but they, that will never happen. So I see no, that... That's, that's, just if I can chime in, that, that's one of the ways that the Buddha... So characterizes mindfulness when he's talking about sati. It's like one who sort of remembers what was said and done long ago. That you're you're paying attention to what's going on, so that you recollect what was what was done, what was said. It doesn't mean to say that you have to have perfect recall, <laughs> but that's one of the ways he talks about it. That the, the because of paying attention to to things in the present, then the mind easily recalls so where, where you put your hat and so forth. Yes. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah. So so exactly along. Along those lines, like along those lines, my feeling would be okay. Um, it's important in order, to, like, to develop mindfulness to get liberated, and that would manifest in remember where one puts the hat. So, to what extent do you think one needs to actively develop qualities like, for example, mindfulness on the path, rather than maybe not paying, caring too much about that, but just paying attention to what's happening now and if there's frustration because one forgot where the hat is, just noticing that and working with that, as opposed to developing qualities, for example, like mindfulness or energy or effort and things like that? Um, well, there's uh, a few things in there. I think what Lumpur is pointing to there in many ways is not letting the, the effort that's necessary in spiritual practice to be co-opted by self-view. Like, I am an unenlightened person who's got to do something now to become enlightened in the future. So in that very way of phrasing it, then the mind is putting Dhamma practice into the framework of self-view. So that's uh, into the, the form of bhavatanda, I am a person. You know, <laughs> like that's Sakayadidi right there. So the, the mind is, is invested in that. So... Um, Certainly, there are uh, the the changing of the paradigm, recognizing that there's a, an unhelpful paradigm in place. Point one, <laughs> point two, that doesn't have to be fixed. That that can be changed. That we can change the way that things are seen. That's 
That's also um, that needs to be reco- recollected, right? If you follow what I mean. So that's you know, effort needs to be made that the mind is is being sort of uh, guided by habits of self view and attachment, and that, uh, and there and something that something can be done about that. But that effort of waking up, and rather than me, uh, me and my problems, or me having to do something now to become enlightened in the future, um, being in uh, being awake now, there's a recognition of the sense of things out of balance, and then what what needs to be done uh, uh, to to uh, uh, work with that, and then to uh, then also witnessing the effects of reshaping the the way things are seen or, or, or changing the perspective, seeing the results of having changed the perspective. So that's all part of effort that's being made, right? But that effort is what I would call uh, is is effort that's free of self-view so that there is effort being applied in, in the practice. And um, that's samavayama, is, it's, uh, it's an effort that is in, in tune with Dhamma. So maybe one of the things that's, that's useful to be aware of, and, and in the, um, uh, the chapters done by uh, Lumpo Pasanno in, the, the, uh, in the, that book, The Island, he, there's, um, I think, four chapters about stream entry, and in that there's, um, uh, I found particularly helpful, he, he talks about the, the Buddha's categorization of the qualities that are supportive of stream entry. And there are the, as is one of the many, many lists. So that the four qualities supportive of stream entry are, first of all, sapurisa sangseva, drawing close to good people. Uh, then sadhamma savana, listening to the good dhamma, true, listening to, 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 to true dhamma. Yoniso manasikara is the third one, so wise reflection. And then the fourth one is Dhamma Anu Dhamma Patipati. So practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma. So those, uh, uh, so I feel that that's a very helpful um, so set of qualities to, to bear in mind. If, and, but if those are applied, uh, so particularly with number four in mind, like rather than I am an unenlightened person, I want to become a stream enterer, I've got to do this in order to get that, then it's, it, that's, not, that's practicing Dhamma in accordance with self-view. That's practicing Dhamma based on my desire to get something and to be different from the way the way I am now. So practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma, Dhamma Anu Dhamma Patipati, is, I would say, is that's developing the skill of working with the present moment experience free of self-view, with the practice guided by mindfulness and wisdom, rather than bhavatana ami bhavatana, the desire to become, the desire to get rid of. And I, I talk about this a, a lot because it's, it's such a, a crucial thing because you know, people, the kind of people who gather together to live a monastic life for years and years, decades, uh, or come to spend you know, even a few weeks or a few months here in the, 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 a monastery like this, people are very sincere. We're here to, to work on our minds, our lives. <laughs> We're not just sort of parked here you know, for, you know, for random purposes. We're here for a particular uh, cause, for a particular, um, yeah, with a particular intention and, and work that we recognize needs to be done. So there's sincerity and there's, uh, and there's commitment. There's, uh, people are here to 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 work and to, to to do what's necessary to make life better, but then that sincerity and that commitment, that effort, then can so easily be co-opted by, I shouldn't be this way, I should be that way. I'm a confused person. I'm a I'm an unenlightened person. I'm an anxious person, or I'm a selfish person. I've got to get rid of that selfishness, that anxiety, and I've got to become better. I've got to become enlightened. I've got to. And get rid of these obstructive things. I've got to develop these good things, and then I will be that enlightened person in the future. And so, that sincerity and that effort, that commitment, is is <laughs> being taken over by bhavatana vibhavatana, the desire to become, the desire to get rid of. And so, it's very tragic you know, that we can put years, decades of work into practicing dhamma based on self-view. And so that, uh, as as Longpore puts it in uh, in this, it's a sort of one of those um, uh, inconvenient truths <laughs> that uh, the um, 
No matter how many years you meditate, you'll never really understand the teaching. You'll always be just off the mark. It's a painful truth, you know, that we can, with, with great sincerity and commitment, continue <laughs> to practice based on, I am this way, I shouldn't be this way, I want to be that way, I, I, I should be another way. And, the, all, uh, and uh, over and over again, um, we're basing the, the practice on, on, uh, on avicca, on ignorance and self-view. And so that it, it's, uh, it's uh, not just ironic, it's tragic <laughs> that we can be sort of uh, missing the, the mark by that, uh, that, that small degree. Um, but, but essentially, it's like if you're threading a, a, a nut on a bolt, if, if, the, if the nut is what they call cross-threaded, that it, it's going across the thread so that you can turn it just about, but the more you turn it, the harder it gets. And it's, it is, it's not turning in a true way. And, and and the harder you turn it, the more stuck it gets. So if we're if we're practicing um, based on self view and uh, and and ignorance, then even though we're, we're really trying to get it right, <laughs> which we're, we're trying hard, you know, we we create the causes for suffering. So the, the, right there, we're creating the causes for dukkha. So that uh, uh, I think that getting the feeling for how effort can be applied based on mindfulness and wisdom on satipanya that our decision making our effort the directionality for our, our life that the work that we do if that's based on mindfulness and wisdom then it's in tune with with dhamma if it's free of the more it's free from conceit and self-view and then the more that one guides effort and then decision making do this don't do that this is wholesome that's unwholesome the more that's based uh, and is is guided, driven by mindfulness and wisdom, then we can make a lot of effort. We can we can uh, uh, put a great deal of uh, of um, say time and energy into working with this mind, this life. Uh, but it's not stressful, it, uh, and the result is is nibbana rather than more dukkha. Does that make sense? So uh, I, to me, that, that's really the, the crucial thing. And then having a a, like a set of criteria, like those four conditions supportive of stream entry. I think it's very, very helpful. I mean, I think just coming to live at Amravati, uh, living in a Buddhist monastery, your sort of sapurisa sangseva is kind of a given. Like you're, you're drawing close to good people. But, uh, I mean, that might sound like a conceited view. <laughs> like, we're the best. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the... There are many, many ways that human beings can choose to spend their time and who they live with and what they do with their days. I mean, there's a big variety. And choosing to gather together with people who are non-violent, who are honest, who are celibate, who are devoted to a fewness of needs and trying to get on with each other, that's pretty amazing. That's, I think that comes pretty close to the Sapurisa category. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the kind of people that you're drawing close to and living with is you can't get much more sort of well-intentioned and, and self-disciplined than, than that, I would say. Yeah. That might be a deluded and conceited view, but uh, I think that, that, that Sapurisa, a good person or a, a well-rounded, good-hearted people, leather. The kind of in certainly in the West, the the kind of people that gather around a monastery are very noble-hearted, sincere, dedicated people who what really are trying to live in a very skillful and wise and harmless and honest way. So then, sadhamma savana, uh, you know, living with good people and having that around. Then okay, what do you what do you put your attention on? What kind of teachings? What kind of understanding do you do you dwell on? What what sort of um, knowledge, conceptual knowledge, information, do you take in? So sadhamma, the, 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 the true dhamma, or the, that which is in accordance with reality. So that's, um, uh, that's what that is pointing to. So what, what do we put our attention on to? What kind of um, concepts and ideas, words uh, do, we, do, do we dwell upon? Do we take to heart? Listening to the true Dhamma. Yoni So Manasikara is wise reflection. Okay, is this working? Is this not working? Uh, uh, yeah, what will be of more benefit? Uh, uh, what, uh, what, uh, what's the result of what I'm doing? That kind of investigative 
reflective, looking at, oh, I'm feeling really tired and grumpy today, or oh, uh, everything looks rosy and beautiful today. Look at that. Why you, oh, maybe it's because the sun is out. Suddenly everything is right with the world. <laughs> oh, look at that. So wise reflection, Yoni Sikara, uh, uh, is extremely important. Uh, as and as you, you, you know, uh, particularly in the teachings of Lumpur Cha, Lumpur Sumato, that that's a very strongly emphasized quality. But in a way, I feel that the fourth one, Dhammanu Dhamma Patipada, that's kind of the most important in some ways. Um, it's in a way the most subtle of them, but usually the most, <laughs> many of the Buddha's lists, the most subtle but the most important things are often at the end of the list. Um, I, I wouldn't be categorical about that, but because, as I was saying earlier, it's it's defining the whole way that we relate to what we're doing and, and why we're doing it, the whole sort of source of of effort, and um, and so to make that effort really worthwhile, to make make sure that the bolt is sitting true, you know, that the nut is sitting true on on the bolt, so that you you, you is going to run freely, uh, and you can. Tighten up the nut and untighten the nut as you as you wish. That getting that uh, alignment that's so crucial, uh, uh, and particularly because bhavatanna um, we bhavatanna, they uh, a lot of the, the what we read in the suttas or the, the what we hear in talks and, and in reading many many dhamma books. The, the the kind of instruction that's given you cultivate this uh, let go of that get you know, get rid of this or this isn't this is an obstacle you know it should be abandoned or this is a, a wholesome quality it should be developed so much of that should do this shouldn't do that um, it can be picked up and 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 say influenced by by the desire to to become the desire to get rid of and those influences of bhavatanna vibhavatanna can be totally invisible. Completely, the, the mind can be completely unaware of that, and so that uh, uh, it's uh, it's really, uh, I would say, so crucial, essential to be looking at that and say, where's this motivation coming from? What's the, what's behind this? How much conceit and self view is is coming into this? And I think in one of the readings a couple of sessions ago, that recognizing. That oh yeah, uh, that there is that oh I really want to become enlightened. I really want to be an arahant. That would that would be great. If there is a, a a conceiving thought, if that is there, there is the awareness that the puru that that, that knowing that, oh look there's a conceit there's the oh I really would like to be an arahant thought, and that in that moment that's that's known for what it is. So even if those sort of conceited or self based attitudes arise they're known for what they are and that there's that more that sort of i, I know you mara uh, I, I know what this is that even though those voices might be uh might be sort of uh coming into coming into being there's that readiness to recognize oh there's that uh, i really wish i could get over this bad habit <laughs> that uh, it's not, oh, here's the mind saying, "This is mine." There's a me who is the owner of this bad, this bad habit. There, right there, is a, a sense of owning that arises, passes away, so that then the things are really being kept in their true context. They're seen in their true light, as it were. Yes, there's a question at the back. If you could wait for a microphone. Hi, I'm a, a little bit confused uh, with, uh, you were saying that uh, a sign of stream entry is uh, recollection and uh, for, for me I think I've got it wrong because I thought uh, what I should be doing was sort of letting go of, of conversations, letting go of where I put my hat, letting go of like the feel like attachment to possessions, attachment to conversations and getting rid of all of that so I don't, so I don't recall what happened. <laughs> and then you said, oh, no, you, the recollection is a sign of good and I've spent the last few years trying to forget everything. That's a, so, a good question. Um, well, the, the, the word sati, 
it's it's related uh, in in terms of its origin, its etymology is related to the word for memory, and so uh, the the Sanskrit smrti is uh, literally also means remembering, and so there is quite a lot of of association with with the act of of remembering with the quality of mindfulness it's not mean it's not encouraging a hanging on to what's happened in the past and reiterating sort of replaying the past as a as you're describing yeah there's an encouragement to not dwell on that or to let go of it but if you're paying attention in the present then if you do need to remember where you've left your hat or your shoes then the the information can be there so it's because the Buddha also gives encouragement not to dwell upon the past and not to create ideas about the future, but to say what he calls the, the ideal uh, solitude or the, the, the most um, so beneficial abiding is being awake uh, to the present moment. So it's not dwelling on the past or, or replaying, reiterating the past, but um, a natural say effect, if there is mindfulness, is often it, it is easier to recall because you've been paying attention to what you're doing when you were doing it rather than being distracted and say, did I have my hat when I came? I, I can't remember. It's like you would remember, okay, you put your hat on when you when you left the vihara or whatever. So the, 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 the memory is there if you need it, but the mind isn't, isn't dwelling on that or, or replaying the past or uh, either in terms of nostalgia or regret or just r- um, ruminating, you know, regurgitating I- I- events. It... Uh, it's like a, it, it can draw upon that memory if it's needed, and if it's not, then if it's not needed, then the mind doesn't conjure that up. But also, it, it can be that you can be completely mindful and also forget things. You know, it's not like to, to be if you're if you're really mindful, you'd have perfect recall. It's, that's not always uh, that's not what's implied. But um, it's a a, a a natural function of mindfulness is that there's the ability to recall if you need to generally. I hope that makes things clearer. Yes, thank you. What's your name, by the way? Oh, uh, Alex. Alan. Alex. Alex. Okay. Uh, Maureen, yeah. Can you wait for a microphone? Come and get a microphone. <laughs> thank you. So, Ajahn, I was reflecting on something that you had said maybe three or four days ago at one of these sessions. Um, It was in response to a question William had about how to deal, like, with someone or deal in a conflictual situation or deal with a relationship that's conflictual. And conflictual, isn't it? Conflictual, yeah, a a conflict. Um, You had said. I think your words were your about your practice was um, I try not to create people. Mm-hmm. So I was reflecting on that, and um, I realized that's actually quite a profound practice. If I'm understanding what you were meaning by it, but I wanted to see if you could actually describe what that statement means as a practice to you, or what, how, how you practice not creating people? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, it's, a, in a way, a lot to do with being mindful of uh, patterns of thinking, so that uh, if, um, say for example, if you have a... Uh, um, a subject that's being you've been discussing with someone, and they have a uh, an opinion that um, you're uncomfortable with. And you say, "Oh dear, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's a very good idea." Or where's that going to? If that if that person acts on that opinion, or they they've got a particular um, fixed view, or you know, where's that going to go? Or what's going to be the result of that? And so then. Um, yeah, and that can be like in your family or work situation or you know in monastery or, or wherever so so you are you have a memory of that uh, of a conversation uh, or some particular issue so then your mind uh, remembers what was said or uh, you remember you're remembering the person and then 
you uh, in that in that uh, memory, and then you're imagining, okay, well, if if then if she does this, then I should say that, or I really hope that he doesn't do this, or if he does that, then I should uh, I uh, I should have to do that, and oh, how's that going to work out? And and so you're uh, paying attention to that flow of thought, and it might just be like a couple of seconds, just boop, you know, popping into into being, um, and it's recognized very quickly. And so, uh, or it might be that <laughs> the mind goes into a whole sort of script writing um, uh, and an anxious uh, 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 kind of scenario. But uh, whether it's short or, or, or long, and, and how much the mind gets absorbed into it, and not uh, the, the practice of not creating people would be to to see that happening. To say, oh, that I'm creating Maureen, or I'm I'm yeah, I'm creating Dan Narindo. Or, uh, Anagarika, Philippe, and uh, uh, that my mind is creating that person, and that, uh, uh, and then naming that that's what's been going on. Oh, I'm creating Maureen. I'm creating Tanarindo, uh, and then, and then because I've been using that as a practice or something that I, I've used over many many years, then there's a sort of well-worn track, if you like. So, okay. That uh, okay, the mind is creating that person. Yeah, who knows what they're 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 thinking? Or yes, well, that's that 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 particular enthusiasm of theirs, or that uh, that thing that they're upset about. That's that's only one part of uh, who and what they are. That's not the whole picture. Let go. So the, the degree to which you, one is to develop that capacity to 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 recognize that sort of giving things solidity and substantiality and the ability to, to let go, then um, uh, it will, uh, it, it, that will, that will condition of how long that, that will stick around or whether it'll just be, okay, you let go of it one second and the next second <laughs> they're there again and the mind is, yeah, but what about this and what about that? So um, for myself, because I, 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 I've done that quite a lot, I find that just by bringing that to mind and recognizing, oh, I'm creating Maureen, I'm, I'm creating Dan Narendo, Anagarika, Philippe, and uh, the, oh, that's what the mind is doing. Um, that that can't be the whole story. Or yes, but that 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 isn't the uh, that isn't everything about them. And then it tends to 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 drop things. If it's some very emotionally loaded issue or something that I've got to make input into that I've got a like a personal responsibility I have to make a decision or give some direction with something then it'll tend to to pop up or some other aspect will say oh but what about this part of it or oh, but what I'd really like is that instead and then uh, just catching that in a similar way that oh, I'm creating myself and how I should be and what I should do the mind is creating a, a me who should do that let that go and so um, the, the, it's one of those cumulative practices. The more you do it, the the, the easier it is to do. And then also, um, the uh, the the aspect of um, say that you, you've got a, a, a responsibility. Say you've got to work in the kitchen with someone, and you've had a, an argument with them. You think, oh, what's it going to be like working with so and so tomorrow? That's going to be really that's going to be really a problem. And so that then, if you see the mind creating that person uh, or creating yourself or what am I going to do with that person how, how am I going to be how they're going to be you recognize that you let that go and then if you uh, work with that then then when you're in that situation you're, you're there together with them in the kitchen the next day and then you recognize oh this is so much easier <laughs> having not created that person or, or that, oh, there's this, what I thought was going to be an issue isn't here at all. And there's this other aspect of it, which is I, something I didn't envision at all. Aha. And so then seeing how when you don't create somebody and you don't create yourself, that there's, I would say, almost invariably, situations are far easier and far more comfortable to work with than when you've been carrying around how you want to be or how you think you are and how you think they are. So seeing the good result of not creating somebody um, is also you know, really very, very beneficial. I oh, look at that. <laughs> so that, that so in a way, that's sort of positive reinforcement, to use a Skinnerian language. <laughs> it's a, you're reinforcing that behavior, like, oh, look, having not created that person or not created myself, then there's this really pleasant, beneficial result. Aha, notice this. 
let let that let that in and i feel that that's an important part of it it's not just applying the method but seeing the what the the result of the method is um and that uh, so at the very root of it it's keeping track of your thought processes and noticing when the mind is doing that and then recognizing that that is something that the mind is doing it's it is generating that person it's not like that person is there and then you are having a valid reading about how they actually are to uh, as lumpur was saying in this in this talk it's like you when you think about someone that has who's uh, passed away and you rem you remember them uh, you conceive of them as being alive but that very idea of the person is a perception so they say uh, you know maureen isn't here this is my mind thinking maureen i mean maureen is here but yeah, yeah if you weren't so that uh, uh, like i can think i can think lumpur tomato he's not here in the temple and so when i think lumpur tomato that is a thought in my mind it's not lumpur tomato it's a thought and and when we've invested a lot of time and energy in thinking and made the the conceptual realm very solid and real and often in the west in particular we are very heavily conditioned to the the thought realm we forget that the idea of lumpur tomato is not the same as lumpur tomato <laughs> we we the, the idea of a person is the person we, the, the, we kind of we reify our thoughts our concepts we the, we we give them a lot of energy in life we make our our conceptual world incredibly solid and real and the, one of the aspects of this kind of practice that i felt so helpful over over the years is that you know, that recognition oh <laughs> the the idea of uh, of uh, of Maureen or the idea of Ajahn Chandrasiri, the idea of, uh, of Lumpur Sameto, that's not the person. That's that's, uh, <laughs> that's a mental image. That's an idea in my mind in this moment, and that um, and that you're not you're not pretending that you sort of you've dreamed that other entity into existence, <laughs> but in this moment, it's just the idea of that that person, and they are not here. In this moment, it's just this, and so uh, when I would find myself particularly stirred up, like there's some uh, some clash with somebody, or there's some really difficult meeting that's going to uh, is, is scheduled to happen. I've got I've got to talk to so and so tomorrow, you know, and there's a, a emotional charge around it. Then often, uh, and and so just just uh, uh, letting it, letting it go is. Uh, ha having to be done over and over again, I would often just say to just say to myself, "He's not here. <laughs> this is the, 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 that person is not here. This is an idea in your mind. Y yes, that that you might have to do this and say that, and it might be problematic. But right now, he's not here. And then there's a, the, the actuality of that is like." Oh right! <laughs> in that moment, the mind is keeping it in perspective, and there's not you know, there's no self deception. It's not like you're sort of pretending anything. It's like no, like Lumbosamaya is not here. It's just an idea. It's just a a, uh, a mental formation in this moment. That's the actuality, so that you're bringing uh, you're, you're seeing things really with the eye of Dhamma. With you're seeing things. As they as they truly are, this is a mental event. It's taking place now, and that, and so I've also found that as a helpful way of, of keeping it in perspective. So I hope that that's uh, useful. You could write a whole book about it: <laughs> how not to create people. Any other thoughts, reflections? It's gone past seven o'clock already. Yes, William, when I was in a, a silent agreement to no more, no more. Very good. Okay, I think we can finish things there for today.